0: Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash recommend today. Welcome in everybody to the flagship podcast. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined as always by our managing editor, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how you doing? I'm
1: doing great, Chip. How are you?
0: Hey I'm doing great. We got football to talk about. we got uh, Texas softball. first unseated team in the college uh, women's College World Series championship final. Uh, they're the the zombies that can't be killed. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, Texas baseball's in the super regional and heck even UT men's and women's track have the most participants in the NCAA Outdoor Championships starting this week in Eugene, Oregon. So uh, if you're a Texas Longhorn or a Longhorn fan, or even if you hate the Texas Longhorns, you are watching because they are starting to put it together. Now, Taylor, the one sport that, of course, everyone cares about the most (laughs) for the Longhorns to put it together is football. And uh, we had kind of a scary incident Um, that we learned about here at Horns 24-7. Iowa State transfer receiver Tariq Milton uh, was in a serious car accident uh, on his way to Texas. He's from Bradenton, Florida, and he was in his 2019 Dodge Challenger scat pack, which if you've ever seen those cars, they're awesome. Um, He said it was his baby. And he was driving with his high school receivers coach Uh, Anthony Rozier, and they were between Tallahassee and Pensacola on I-10 when all of a sudden uh, a car with no headlights on is coming at them in their lane on I-10. Tariq Milton swerved, uh, but the car did hit the passenger side of his car, uh, pretty much totaled it. Fortunately, Anthony Rozier, his high school running backs coach who was in the passenger Uh, front seat the car impacted right behind that front seat and and they were okay now um, rosier had a a concussion some minor injuries but they ended up uh, being helped by a alabama season ticket holder who's who was a you know stopped and after the crash saw the crash uh, kevin sidner and Sidner helped them get, because the car was undrivable. so he helped them get to Pensacola, uh, helped them get in, you know, brought them to a hotel, uh, even made sure that they had a ride to the airport the next day. And this is just an unbelievable story. Uh, Tariq Milton saying he's happy and lucky to be alive and is so grateful for Kevin Sidner, who uh the Alabama season ticket holder who who did what you I think we'd all like to think we would do. If right. We saw yeah. Her, the Good Samaritan crash. there. Yeah. Right. And so this um, and of course, you know, it wasn't lost on both of them that Texas will be facing Alabama on September 10th. Uh, but yeah, Tariq Milton, fortunate in in he ended up, of course, making it on time uh to report for summer workouts and summer enrollment and all that but that's uh that's unbelievably scary taylor
1: it is for sure and um you know he he called sidner a real life angel and that's true i mean what you said chip i mean you would hope all of us would react that way um you know sometimes i think people don't when they're in the moment but talk about a good samaritan and just the ties you know him being an alabama season ticket holder him, um, you know, I thought that your quote when you uh, reported this earlier in the week, um, I thought your quote that Milton said it was funny and said, "We'll we'll meet again on the 10th of September talking about um, Sidner with Texas playing Alabama that day, but definitely a scary, scary situation. i um, very fortunate for Tariq Milton and his high school receivers coach to be alive, honestly. And um, man, they had some guardian angels watching over them. I'll say that for sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, cause it was at night, it was, you know, 1130 at night and, um, you don't, the car didn't have headlights on the car uh, was driven by police later told Tariq Milton, a drunk driver, uh, who went to jail. And that's, uh, that's just a horrifying situation, but I'll tell you this, Taylor, uh, Tariq Milton, you know, we talked about him when he agreed to, to go to Texas and how, coaches and teammates at Iowa State said he was such a good locker room presence you can tell from this kid the way he looks at life that he is a, a good presence you know forget the fact that he had uh you know impressive numbers especially his first two years at Iowa State he can stretch the field he's a he's a four4 guy this kid is a his parents did a great job I mean he's a he's a well-rounded person and and someone who is going to end up being a really nice addition to this Texas football team, especially uh, on a team that's looking for leadership. This is a fifth-year guy and and we'll see what, uh, what he brings to the field. But more importantly right now, it seems like he's bringing a great presence uh, to that locker room.
1: And that's huge, Chip. I mean, there are so many locker room instances and issues that we had heard about last season and, you know, things that really was difficult for Steve Sarkeesian to iron out in his first year. And I think he was prepared for it to an extent. But, um you know, the more guys that Texas can get in that locker room that are all on the same page, that have the same goal, that um, can erase the sense of doubt that has crept into the Texas locker room over the last few years, the here we go again mentality that we always talk about. And I bet some of our listeners are tired of hearing us say that, but it's been the case for Texas. That's the reality of the situation. And, you know, guys like this can help erase that, you would hope at least when. Um, when it matters most. And the, the time where that starts is now in the summertime, you know, this is where the team really has to keep one another accountable when the coaches aren't really around them, you know, during summer workouts and um, team, you know, led seven on seven and all of that type of stuff that goes on in these months. And these months are really, really crucial. And a lot of times they get overlooked, I think, from um, a fan and an outside perspective because, you know, there's no games, there's no real practices, coaches, you know, a lot of them take vacations, you know, in July, late June, after the official visits end there. And so um, it's kind of the overlooked period, but it's a very, very crucial period in any, you know, team building type of scenario for any college football team, and especially for a team that really needs to come together and have a camaraderie and, you know, have each other's back and hold each other accountable, which is something Texas hasn't really done. So, um, the more the, uh, you know, the more that the Tariq Miltons, the Bijan Robinsons, the Roshan Johnsons, the leaders on the team, the more that they can really corral these guys and, um, get them all on the same page. It starts now. And that really plays that can pay dividends, you know, later in the season.
0: No doubt. And, this has been an unbelievable off season for a team that went five and seven. We've, we've kind of broken record on that, but every time you turn around, it seems there has been good news for Texas this off season, uh, as far as the football team and uh, coming off that five and seven year. And I mean, even down to Lincoln Riley leaving OU with Caleb Williams. I mean, if you're, a Longhorns fan, you didn't want to see that guy again.
1: No, uh, yeah. in the
0: Red River Shootout, and and now, or probably neither one of them. Um, and so now you've got Brent Venables trying to get things figured out at OU, uh, but it it has been. And part of that offseason, Taylor was bringing in Gary Patterson, and uh, Gary released a song, and I think it's a good song. I think people should listen to it. The day I walk away and it's on spotify itunes wherever you listen to your music and he wrote this song about partly about him leaving tcu and and you know he didn't hold a press conference after he got fired and and he said you know part of that was because i about you know well he said after the baylor game which was the the game right after he got fired he decided you know what I'm just gonna write a song and and so now the song's out and we know Gary loves to strum the guitar Mm -hmm. and we had a chance to talk to him and kind of get his thoughts on on that and you know how you know where he is why he you came to Texas to to do his thing and um this guy you know he really seems committed to to trying to help the Longhorns right now, which I know still for a lot of people seems strange. Um, he told a great story about a guy who who was a Texas fan who came up to him and said, "Listen, man, I I gotta apologize for all the horrible names I've called you the last <laughs> ten years uh, because Gary was seven and three against Texas. So it uh, that that's part of the offseason, this this good off that Texas has been having."
1: It is. And if you did not read uh, last week's Insider, go back and check it out. It's actually free. So we made it. um, It was a good enough story to make it free this uh, week, or I guess last week, technically, we want Texas fans to be able to read it. But Chip did a really great job sitting down with a one on one with Gary Patterson. And um, yeah, that story that you had said about the Texas fan that came up to him and apologized. I was laughing so hard as I was editing, you know, the Insider putting it together before we published it. But um, it is also interesting, Chip, to hear just his overall perspective on the Texas locker room, too. You know, I feel like when, um, when he was asked about that, it seemed like he was pretty um, straightforward, I guess, would be the best way to say it. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think if that even is. But, you know, he his quote to you was, quote, I don't know if anyone thinks the roster is everything they want it to be. But we have some good players and i think we have good kids that's for sark to talk about though to me i mean he's a head coach gary patterson knows what a locker room should be what was your take on his response to that being kind of you know vague and responding to it
0: yeah i mean i think there's a lot of question marks and and he's not sugarcoating it and so they've got a big question mark at quarterback. There's talent there, we know, but how quickly can that talent uh, adjust and get comfortable and get command of the offense and of, of the locker room, really? That's the one position where you don't really have a choice about being a leader. And Texas has some interesting dynamics at that position. We've talked about how uh, you know Hudson Card's a quiet guy. Quinn Ewers is a laid back guy Jordan whittington said yours reminds him of a surfer mm-hmm. and what are these guys going to be like when they run into some adversity what are they going to be like when um they throw an interception in a, in a big game and uh how do they handle it how do they rally their teammates all that and then obviously on defense there's a lot of stuff that needs to come together after last year's sort of just confounding uh inability to get better as the season wore on I, you know we always talk about the sign of a well coached team is week to week improvement and we didn't see that on defense last year i mean not until the last game and that was after guys got benched right against kansas state did did you see the defense finally sort of bow up in in that uh, 22-17 win and and so i think gary's a you know he doesn't hand out much praise he didn't hand out a lot of praise at tcu he's got a reputation as a a taskmaster i thought it was interesting that he talked about that like people have this idea that patterson's just a constant fire breather and he said he appreciated chris del conte as his athletic director at tcu because del conte would actually come to practice and see how he interacted with the kids see how he taught them and and would sit in on game planning meetings and and really tried to understand the day-to-day of the coaches at tcu which del conte still does mm-hmm. at texas and and so i think it's and, and of course i asked him about his relationship with pete Kwiatkowski, and and he meant he said good you know i've known pete a long time i've known him and jeff choate the texas co-defensive coordinator linebackers coach from their days competing in the mountain west when tcu would play against boise and uh kwiatkowski and chote were both at boise under chris peterson so you know he he said and he didn't he, he was serious about the talk to sark if you're gonna ask me questions about players talk to sark you know that it's that's his deal. I'm not coaching players. I'm preparing the, the game plans. He's doing all the scouting. He scouted the first five opponents already. Uh, their offenses, Louisiana, Monroe, Alabama, uh, UTSA, Texas Tech, uh, West Virginia. And he was just getting started on OU, which now has – he said he, he's been studying Ole Miss film because Jeff Levy, the new offensive coordinator at OU, came from Ole Miss. and And so he loves that stuff gary's a junkie about doing the scout and coming up with his uh you know tendencies for opponents offenses so that they can be working on that stuff during the summer when coaches can meet with the players for two hours a week and all that stuff and and giving the players uh scripts that they need to be learning now in preparation for the season so uh He's, he loves that that day-to-day grind. He's not one of these, you know, he's not like Mac Brown. He's not the great, I mean, he is a great CEO. I mean, you don't last 20 years at a place and Correct. win a Rose Bowl and six conference championships. But Gary's a coach. He said one of the things he really appreciated about Sark and, and can identify with Sark is the fact that Sark's a head coach who calls plays. He, Gary said, I understand that. I did that uh Mm -hmm. at tcu it's a lot and you know he also said head coaches are the best soldiers the best assistants uh former head coaches excuse me former head coaches are the best soldiers and assistants to head coaches because they know what it takes and they know what kind of help they need
1: yeah they know what good coaches look like and what bad coaches look like
0: right so i i just thought it was interesting you know I've, i've always liked gary i know You know he's he's emotional he's fiery but football's fiery and emotional i mean i love that the guy changed his shirt in the middle of a you know 31 point comeback against oregon in the alamo bowl still the biggest uh comeback in a bowl game in history so you know he's and he admits it he's like how many coaches you know wrote a song for their final (laughs) conference at a place
1: Instead of instead of doing a yeah a farewell press conference or anything after being there twenty years, decides to write a song. I mean, yeah, for sure. I mean, I still think my favorite nickname, and I I got to give it to a uh, I think it was Polly Dreamer on our site. I think who put it last year. Uh, in our in our predictions game thread for Texas TCU, he called <laughs> TCU the Sweat and Gary's. And I still think that's the funniest like nickname for Gary Patterson, just because, you know, he is so fiery and intense and would sweat through his shirts and games. And you saw it all the time. I mean, one of my favorite things, Chip, is, you know, with 24-7, we have access to, um, you know, certain type of uh images, so like Getty images, uh, and like USA Today sports photos that we can use for articles. Well, anytime you go and look for a Gary Patterson picture to pull from either one of them, he's screaming and almost every, he's either screaming or he is just staring down, you know, the field or whatever it is with his team behind him. I mean, it, it, they're hilarious. They're, they've, and this is well, before he's joined Texas, I've always just cracked up when I see Gary Patterson pictures in those databases, because they're all the same. It is just like, nonstop, you know, and, and in, in are right, football is a fiery sport. I mean, for goodness sakes, people will put on full pads and go hit each other as hard as they can. So yeah, you need to have the fire in you. And I think, you know, it's going to be I think it's, it's, probably been a very interesting change of pace i would say probably for gary patterson to be in this situation after spending you know 20 years um being the fiery guy being the head coach the leader of a football program i bet it probably took a little bit of time for him to adjust but um i think it's a great addition and you're you're spot on when you talk about you know how that is also you know the off season that texas has had that's a huge part of it too. And and another huge part of it, Chip, is coming up um, next weekend. I guess it would be next weekend. What's today? Yeah, it, next weekend is when five-star quarterback Arch Manning takes his official visit. That's another big thing for Texas. You know, he uh, is coming off of a Georgia official visit that he took over this past weekend. He's going to Texas the weekend of June 17th. So more, you know, um, reason to be over at Horns 24-7 for sure, because we're going to have tons of coverage leading up to the Arch Manning visit and you know during the official visit after it the aftermath of that and uh that could be another huge thing too Chip that really solidifies this offseason if Texas can really hit it out of the park with Arch Manning when he comes on campus June 17th
0: yeah it's it is I mean it's uh I've never seen anything like it for a team coming off five and seven and right. and, and and look you gotta you gotta have the players you gotta have players and Texas has not had the players to to do better than they have let's be honest they haven't had the quarterbacks um, they haven't had the offensive line they haven't had uh, difference makers we, we've talked to michael griffin we've talked to josh thompson um you gotta have difference makers and they gotta feed off each other and and we've talked about all the transition all the change all the coaching change and 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 look the culture the culture uh what you were saying about the summer and everything right now it, it's enormous the culture whatever that was last year it didn't work no. the players weren't bought in or you had bad apples contaminating the bunch the culture has got to be uh stronger it's got to be about accountability it's got to be about players wanting to do it for each other I mean, we'll talk about UT softball here in a minute, but, you know, they're doing it for each other. And that's when the magic happens, when the players are are doing it for themselves, when they look around and say, no one believes in us but us. You can turn it around. The question is, how committed are you? How committed are you to each other and and getting it done? I mean, Dan Neal, who he and Derek Johnson are on the the. You know, College Football Hall of Fame ballot right now. Congratulations to those guys, Dan Neal, All-American offensive lineman. Said a lot of the players under John McAvich back in the mid '90s when he was a player didn't didn't identify with Makovic, didn't feel connected to McAvich, but they rallied around each other and said, "We're going to go do this for us," and and they did. They won three conference championships, including the first you know, ever big 12 championship in 1996 with that shocker over Nebraska. So that's where this thing has to go and we'll see if they can get there. But, um, you know, a guy like Arch Manning, I mean, when you hear that the guy may want to come in and learn for a year Mm -hmm. and then really be considered, uh, you know, as as part of the competition, Now, listen, things change, but he's saying the right things. And that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of player personality that you want bring, you know, coming into your locker room. Of course, he's got the pedigree and he can make all the throws, but look, you know, you can win big without being able to make all the throws. You got to be a good teammate. You got to be able to, to read the other side of the ball, whether you're a defensive player or an offensive player, and then you got to be able to help your teammates get lined up correctly and, and make plays. and um Arch Manning certainly fits all of that from what I can tell.
1: Yeah, for sure. And this is this is a huge, you know, uh official visit weekend that is coming up for Texas is not just Arch Manning, but obviously all eyes are going to be on Arch Manning for this. But you're right, Chip, when you talk about him, you know, and him potentially not wanting to have to be the guy like right away, that bodes really well in Texas favor. And so far, you know, I feel Texas has done a really outstanding job when it's come to the overall recruitment of him, because, you know, you hear, and if, you know, the guys who know the most about this are, you know, Hudson Standish and Mike Roach, they'll probably talk about it for sure this week on the uh, State of Recruiting Podcast too, so make sure you're tuning into those as well, but, you know, the thing with with him is when you have a guy like an Arch Manning, is kind of similar to like how Quinn Ewers is, one of those type of recruits, you know, that only come around once every, you know, few years or whatever, the, the top guys. A lot of times they have a um I, I don't know if a stigma is the right word, but you know, like a, people expect them to kind of be prima donnas or divas or things like that. And um it's the outside opinion, but these guys are totally the opposite. And Arch Banning a hundred percent is he's not the flashy type of the look at me type of guy. He's more of a laid back. He kind of reminds me from what everything you know in hearing about him he kind of sounds similar to how quinn ewers is a little bit when you talk to people who know quinn ewers you know like when we had riley dodge on our podcast and him talking about he just cares about playing football and hunting and hanging out and that's kind of you know an arch manning it probably fits more in that mold you probably don't think that way when you know he's the number one rated prospect in the country you have um you know i mean he goes to a a college game and every you know publication is talking about him being at that game and that was his junior year of high school when that was happening i mean that that's the type of thing but texas has really done a great job when it comes to just um having more of the low-key approach with him and so it's going to be fascinating to see what this next um not this coming weekend the weekend after that when he comes in for his official visit you know kind of how uh things play out for texas there but they're doing a great job, without a doubt, at this point. And and again, when we talk about that, talk about the off season, the fact that they're in it, one of the two teams for the most part in it with Arch Manning, the number one prospect in the 2023 recruiting class, coming off of a five and seven season, it just goes to show. that uh, one thing I think that we're learning about this Texas staff is they're able to keep recruits engaged and in, in uh, you know sell their message in a, a way that makes them intrigued. And you know, Arch Manning is a perfect prime example of that
0: yeah no doubt about it this is uh an exciting time uh to be a Longhorn, and and taylor you know we during these uh summer months we talk about uh the the players who you know we'll we'll talk about the other teams in the big 12 this summer we'll talk about um you know a little bit of everything but you know the guys who can elevate texas the most you know i i look at i look at three players and you mentioned you know i, I don't want to get ahead of myself here but i do feel like quinn ewers um has a, a a spark um from what we saw uh in you know even in his time at south lake carol coming back from the double hernia leading them uh, to the state championship game ahead of schedule yes they lost to west lake but um you know he he might not have even should have been playing in that game, but sure. he just he's got a, a moxie and and I think players are drawn to him uh, from what I'm hearing. Uh, and no nothing against Hudson Card. I think Hudson Card's super talented. I just don't know if his makeup is right for the quarterback position. I hope he proves me wrong. I hope he has the best fall camp ever. Uh, but Quinn Ewers obviously is the number one recruit in the in the 2021 cycle uh, tells you this kid uh, is seen by a lot of uh, analysts as a guy who has the goods and look he threw a lot of interceptions in the spring a lot like if fans knew how many he threw they'd be like worried (laughs) so he's got to get that cleaned up but that's what the summer's all about and and so you know i don't know if i should stop there and let you you comment before I get to the other two players
1: yeah I mean I think that obviously everybody's looking at Quinn Ewers and this kind of you know as you mentioned with Hudson you kind of he's kind of flying under the radar here it's gonna be you know interesting to see how this kind of plays out in fall camp but you're right I mean when you look even just look at it from aside from what we're hearing behind the scenes and you know players being drawn to Quinn Ewers look at what's post what what is posted on Texas social media channels who is always seems to be there with other players around it's Quinn Ewers. I mean, you know, when there was a picture of the receivers going to top golf during the spring and there's one quarterback there and it's Quinn Ewers. And then, you know, just, there's a lot of things, you know, when um, Jordan Addison was taking his visit to Texas, there was pictures posted with, you know, uh, Xavier Worthy, Jordan Whittington, um, Isaiah Nayor, and then Quinn Ewers is in the pictures too. I mean, that, that's not, that's not an accident, I don't think. I think that's very telling of, um, you know, what, in matching, I would say, of what we have heard behind the scenes of how players really are drawn to him. But you're right, it starts there. But, um, you know, in, and I'll let you get your, your next two players, too. But the other thing that we have to consider when we're talking about Quinn Ewers, yeah, he needs to help elevate Texas, but he needs an offensive line to allow him to elevate Texas, and that remains a question, Chip.
0: Yeah, it does. And we'll, I have a feeling we'll be talking about the offensive line a little bit uh, uh, later. But another player in, you know, among three players I think who can really elevate Texas if they can elevate is linebacker Jalen Ford. Because everything that I heard in the spring is that this guy is, he's got all the measurables, he's, he loves the game, his teammates believe in him. And maybe they believe in him more than he believes in himself. And he's got to, you know, and it sounded like he was starting to make it his defense, which is a lot. But that's what they need from that position, from that middle linebacker position. And nothing against Luke Brockermeyer, who, you know, fought his butt off and was second leading tackler on the team. Um, But Jalen Ford physically is built like a middle linebacker he's built like a middle linebacker in the nfl now if he can play to that level and get everyone lined up correctly then this defense starts to take on a whole different personality than it had last year and so uh, jalen ford is a guy i think who can elevate this defense if he can continue to keep coming on
1: yeah, and, and you're right when you talk about, you know, the middle linebacker, that needs to be, I think it needs to be kind of the glue of the defense. And as you're saying, you know, make sure everyone's lined up, make sure the plays are being passed along on the field to everybody so that they know what they're supposed to be doing. And, and that's huge. And, and you're right. I mean, when I, I kind of feel, I feel for Luke Brockmer, I'll say that because, you know, he's a walk on who earned his starting playing time. Um, you know, whether you want to say he earned it because of there being a lack of other options, I don't care what it is, he earned the right to be on the field. But you don't necessarily want to have to rely on a former walk on to be the glue in the center of your defense at middle linebacker. It's just that I, I don't think any coach out there, if you were just to give a blanket, you know, A or B, you know, which would you prefer without any names attached? I think that they would obviously prefer a guy that's a scholarship player that has the physical tools that earned him a scholarship from the jump and not just a walk on. You know, so I think I think you're a 100 percent right. I think that's something Texas, the Texas defense has been lacking. I mean, I'm trying to think back to when the last time they had a middle linebacker like that. I mean, was it?
0: It was probably Gary Johnson. Yeah. No. Yeah.
1: That's good. That's a good point. Yeah. Gary Johnson's probably the last one, but that was in 2018. I mean, we're 2022 now. So Texas needs that for sure.
0: Yeah. And that that's, that's a position that the fact that you just had to say, I can't remember Yeah, the last impact interior linebacker Texas has had. That's, that's unacceptable. It's All unacceptable right. at, at Texas. Um, and the third player I think who can really elevate this defense in this team is Anthony Cook and Anthony Cook. We know uh, played nickel last year, made plays, had a, a really big third down sack against TCU that helped in that one possession game. Uh, came off the field sometimes when they were in base defense, and to me, he's too good of a player to to take off the field. We got to see how he transitions to safety, but that typically is a a good transition you know, when you're moving from corner or nickel to safety, I'm not going to say it's easier because it's not, you've got more responsibility, more calls, but Anthony cook is a guy. They need a playmaker at safety. I mean, we, you know, we talked to uh, Michael Griffin and, and how there was a, a, a runway of players waiting to get on the field who all ended up in the, you know, in the NFL. I mean, there was a succession of safeties when you talk about, you know, Michael Griffin and Earl Thomas and, um, you know, that defensive backfield has to be, um, a strength and it wasn't last year. And so this, uh, you know, they need confidence. You got to have playmakers. When you walk out on the field, you can't be worried about what the guy next to you is or isn't going to do. You have to be able to trust that guy so that you can totally focus on your job. And that's been a problem. It's been a problem for about five years. Yeah. And and it's it's too much. And so Anthony Cook can elevate this team in this defense by, you know, being that steady, consistent playmaker uh, who helps his teammates also get in position to make plays.
1: Yeah. And he knows the the secondary as a whole. I mean, playing he's now in his third, you know, role in the secondary. He's a fifth year senior. I mean, this is the time for him. I mean, this is he has a huge opportunity here, too. Um, to really make a name for himself. Cause I mean, if you go back when he was a recruit, he was a very highly touted recruit and he saw the field early at Texas and then just kind of like teetered off. And so it was, it was really encouraging chip to see him make his way back into a difference maker type of role last season on defense, even though he did come off the field at some points, I think, I think you and I would agree that he was one of the more, um, I guess, a uh, consistent and stable, you know, playmaker out there for the defense in general, when he was on the field, I think him and Josh Thompson were probably two of the more consistent playmakers that they did have on Texas defense. And, you know, with, there's still a little bit of a, a question mark following him since he is moving to a different position. But I think that he seems to be, you know, um, capable enough and trustworthy enough for the coaches to rely on him to to play at, at, you know, at the safety position after playing nickel and then corner previously, because I think they also need him to help kind of be the Jalen Ford too, with, you know, making sure guys are lined up, right. Making sure everyone knows their assignments in the secondary passing along, you know, what the plays are from the sideline to the other guys on the field, the opposite sides of the field. I mean, there's so many things that, he is probably the most set up to being successful at just because he's a fifth year guy and he knows that secondary, he knows all the positions at it. So, you know, Texas needs him to though, you know, he he's got to answer it. He's got to prove that just last year wasn't just an anomaly type of thing where he, you know, started to look back, look like the guy that people expected him to be when he came out of high school. And so he's got to take that next step. And that will be, I totally agree. I think it'll be detrimental to the success of this defense and this team in general.
0: Well, Taylor, um, before we get to love it or leave it, Texas baseball and Texas softball and Texas track are all uh, trying to position themselves uh, here in the postseason to win a national championship, UT softballs, in the championship series against rival, nemesis, and behemoth, number one, uh, Oklahoma. But Texas baseball uh, gets through its regional undefeated And uh, impressive wins over Air Force, a team they lost a game to during the season. And um, they're going to play East Carolina. And East Carolina is a team that is very similar to Texas, in in my opinion. I don't think – I mean, East Carolina is one of the best uh, fielding teams in college baseball. Texas is the best, but East Carolina um, is – is top four in the nation in fielding percentage. They come up with timely hitting. They don't have a guy like Ivan Melendez, but they've got um, a you know a healthy dose of guys with double digit home runs. They got four players batting over three hundred. And uh, Bryson Warrell, the senior outfielder, was named the most outstanding player of the regional for East Carolina, and he's got eighteen home runs. I mean, he would be the closest thing to their version of Ivan Melendez, um, you know, 57 RBIs, but they play well together there. You look at their resume, they're like two and six against ranked opponents. Their best win is over Maryland. Who's now uh, number 10 in the nation. Uh, but they had a 20 game winning streak going into their regional. They ended up losing a game to coastal Carolina and had to win against coastal carolina on monday to to wrap up that regional but before that loss they'd won 20 straight games taylor you you and i both know when a team wins uh puts together a streak like that they play for each other they're a team that isn't afraid they've they've come back like texas texas has come back in a lot of games this year east carolina has too so um yeah, honestly, I, I looked at the resumes and I thought, you know, Texas probably should have been the, the number eight seed uh, in East Carolina having to come to Texas, but it's not. East Carolina is the eight seed. Texas is the nine seed. They're fighting for the right to open with Tennessee in the College World Series, but it's, you know, it's going to be a good test. And their number one pitcher is a lefty, just like Texas. And so... Um, you know, keep an eye on uh CJ Mayhew. I think he'll get the start in game one against Pete Hansen. And you know, Mayhew has been their most consistent starter, and they've struggled to find consistency with their pitching staff beyond their top two pitchers, um, CJ Mayhew and Carter Spivey. Love that name. Mm-hmm. Um, but they scrap and they fight, they field really well. Like I said, they don't make mistakes. They don't beat themselves and they, they play small ball. They are uh top four in the nation and sacrifice bunts. So uh, Augie Garrido will be smiling somewhere as Texas and East Carolina get things going here on Friday.
1: Yeah. And, and you're right. When you talk about the, the win streak there, I mean, winning 21 of 22 games, um in the you know heading into and then in the postseason that is that's a team you don't really want to mess with I mean if you let's just say it how it is I mean that's just a team you don't want to really get and you know I will say though with with Texas I feel like things seem to be coming back together after there were some you know ups and downs a little bit during the season but um and you know I think at this point Chip if you're on if you're playing for Texas they've got to come together for Ivan Melendez in general. I mean, man, the season this kid is having, I don't want to see it end in Greenville. I want to see him in Omaha. I want to see him on the national stage where everybody can see what he's doing. Cause I mean, he has 30 bombs right now. And that is, he is the first player to reach 30 home runs in a single season since 2013 when Chris Bryant um, did that. And if you follow baseball, you know that that's probably not too shabby of a person to be, Comparing, you know, compared to uh, considering he was what the number two overall draft pick, I think, no doubt. That same season. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's Ivan Melendez is having himself a year. He's uh, for the Golden Spikes Award. If you haven't go over and uh, vote for him, um, fans can vote, I think, once a day or something because this kid deserves it. And, you know, I think that this team should be fighting for him. I mean, let's see Texas have a Golden Spikes winner and Ivan Melendez is poised to be that guy if they can really make it through and make it to Omaha. I think that would be that could be the, the icing on the cake if he can get on that national stage there, but gonna be a, a big challenge for sure, Chip, um, that they're gonna have to get through this week.
0: Well, I thought one of the best signs for Texas coming out of the regional was the the last win over Air Force where you had Travis Staley um you had uh andre duplantier uh, you know you had some of the the and jared southard who you know some of the relievers who'd been up and down with struggled with control uh, throughout the year started off the season strong then the tanner Witt injury seemed to just unravel this team in a way that i don't think any of us expected or maybe unraveled the the pitching yeah bullpen, and, and so to see Travis Staley, Jared Southerd, uh, Andre Duplantier, even LeBaron Johnson uh, perform well in that that final uh regional victory over Air Force, man, that's what you want because like UT softball, UT softball struggled early in the year. Heck, they're starting pitching. You know, Haley Dulcini and and as es, uh Estelle Check who are are killing it and and Estelle Check's going to be the number one starter probably next year. Sophia Simpson, um, the freshman who threw a no hitter in her fifth appearance for the Longhorns, they are putting it together in the postseason. If Texas baseball can do that as well, uh, Tristan Stevens, all the other pitchers I just mentioned, uh, along with Pete Hansen and Lucas Gordon, then you're going to see the Longhorns, who started the year number one, and and were the team to beat and again you're fighting for the right to play number 1 Tennessee to open the college world series which is rough but Texas has beaten Tennessee already uh this year and and so let's see what happens let's see if Texas can can go on the road um like UT softball UT softball 6 and 0 in elimination games had to go to Washington had to go um to Arkansas and and get it done after dropping the first game of that super regional so Just a lot of fun and excitement right now. If if you like baseball and softball and comebacks and guts and just fight, Texas fight. Yeah, you're you're loving watching these teams.
1: Yeah, for sure. And Texas and uh, East Carolina will play at 11 a.m. on ESPN. Two Texas softball, though, they uh, play tonight. I believe at seven o'clock in uh, the Women's College World Series Finals. And you're, I mean, this, this softball team, I, I thought it was hilarious yesterday or Tuesday, excuse me, when, uh, we chip released, uh, his morning brew. What was your headline again? He had a headline. I think it was the zombie like,
0: apocalypse,
1: zombie apocalypse. That's what it was. And that's what you're right. What Texas softballs, you know, it's like the walking dead. They're coming back and going after anyone that will have, and they have a tough task. So chip, uh, in facing number one, Oklahoma starting tonight.
0: Oh. I mean, Oklahoma leads the nation in batting average, ERA, home runs, scoring. Uh, They're unbelievable. Um, You know, Jocelyn Alo, who had two home runs in that 15-0 route of UCLA to move on to the championship series. She wears number 78, and she's the leadoff hitter. She's from Hawaii. Her dad is awesome. He wears this T-shirt of her. Um, in the crowd and of course they're playing in Oklahoma City nine miles from Norman so uh, but Texas stared down Oklahoma State and Kelly Maxwell the All-American lefty pitcher who no one had solved uh, from the Longhorns they were 0-4 against the Cowgirls throughout the season and then when it matters most elimination games they go 2-0 and Mike White I love this coach he calls he says my team's the most dangerous team in the postseason. They're playing free. No one expects them to do anything. Oklahoma's got all the pressure, but Oklahoma is so talented. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have three aces. They have three ace pitchers. Uh, top 4 in ERA in the nation. Um, you know, Kelly Troutline and and Jordy Barr, the freshman who struts around the mound like she's ready to fight someone. I it, this is going to be This is if Texas can take down this, you know, defending national champion number one OU, it would be an unbelievable story we'd be talking about for years. I mean, even Kat Osterman is in Oklahoma City cheering this team on and um, Kat Osterman never got to the championship series. You know, she made it College World Series three times, uh, but Texas had never been to the championship series. Uh, So. Exciting times.
1: Yeah, it is. And I, I kind of hate when people use this sports reference, but it is, I think, um can play here. It's kind of a David versus Goliath type of matchup. And I know that I hate I don't you know, it's such a corny thing that people overuse and I can't believe I'm even saying it, but it is. And if Texas can truly, you know, um get the the spirit and the the strength of David in this against this Goliath type of matchup. It's going to be fun to watch. But talk about, Chip, just a gift to all of college sports. I mean, we literally have a national championship on the line, and the two teams playing are Texas and Oklahoma. Like, what better story can you have? What be- I mean, it would, like, two of the biggest rivals. Like, people, even if they don't care about Texas and Oklahoma, they know about the rivalry, and these are the two teams playing in the you know the finals of the women's college world series i mean you can't ask for a better a better setup here um from an outside perspective i think texas probably would have hoped it wasn't oklahoma that they are facing but you know this is a red hot team right now and they're fun to watch and you know um it's kind of one of those where you you don't want to face these type of teams in the offseason or in the postseason excuse me and texas softball is one of those teams that you should be a little scared to face and uh there's you know, definitely up for a, a, they have a big task ahead, a big challenge ahead starting tonight against Oklahoma. Again, that game starts at 7 PM. Um, but just over, I mean, this is just a, a great, a, a, such a great postseason softball in general, but just such a great finals. The fact that there's two of the most storied rivals rivalries playing each other for a national championship doesn't happen very often.
0: No, no. And I, and for those who, who turned off their TV when Texas fell behind five, nothing to Oklahoma state, in that uh, regional or, well, the the clincher to get into the championship series, you now know that the Texas softball team is, uh, they're like zombies. You can't get, you can't kill them. Yeah. And this is a best two of three. So tonight, uh, tomorrow night and Friday night this week, you know, if necessary, obviously on Friday, but uh, this is not an elimination game here in game one. So let's see what the longhorns can do against uh against troutline the just i mean she's like she's got a sub 1 era just a strikeout machine so uh texas did beat oklahoma during the regular season and ended their 40 game winning streak uh, dating back to last year's national championship run so they they know they can win now they got to they go out got to go out and do it twice uh, mm-hmm. in the next 3 games so uh, Taylor, you ready for some Love It or Leave It?
1: I am, Chip, before we get to Love It or Leave It, we're going to take a really quick break, but stick around because we have more football talk and postseason uh, Texas action coming up in Love It or Leave It, so stay tuned. We will be right
0: back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. Oh yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Alrighty. First one is love it or leave it. The Texas offense has to be significantly better than last year for the Longhorns to have the kind of success. The team wants in
0: 2022, you know, I'll be a little more specific on this. I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this because I, I think the offensive line doesn't have to be that much better, Taylor. Um, they just got to be able to get in the way of someone. The skill talent now for Texas is ridiculous. When you talk about Bijan John Robinson, um, Roshan Johnson, uh, Keelan Robinson. I mean, it's it's ridiculous what Texas has in the running back room. And then at receiver, you've got big guys who can fly, big catch radius. Texas couldn't make a contested catch last year. Now you bring in guys who are known for making contested catches, uh, like Isaiah Nair and Ajayi Hall and uh, Tariq Milton. You know, the offensive line just needs to get in the way of people and give Quinn Ewers or Hudson Card or whoever's taking the snaps uh, or give a crease – to be john robinson i don't think it has to be significantly better taylor just a little bit better on the offensive line you know don't make mistakes don't don't make pre-snap penalties in the third quarter when you're coming off your own goal line against oklahoma in a in a game where the the momentum has swung the other way it's just about making a little bit better, you know, just be a little bit better on the offensive line with this skilled talent. I just think, you know, it doesn't have to be significant, Taylor, just a little bit better. So I'm going to leave this. How about you?
1: I I mean, I, I'm going to, I'm going to love it because I think the offensive line was so bad last year that it's like, I think it needs a sub- substantial improvement. Um, it, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of one of those like, either or type of things, I guess, but maybe I do want to leave it. I'm trying to think because really the offensive line needs to get guys out of the running backs ways and get guys out of the face of the quarterbacks where last year I feel like they were getting in the way (laughs) of their own players instead of the opposite team. And so I guess I'll say I'll, I'll love it because that needs to be significantly better Um, and you know, I, yeah, I'll I'll love it. I mean, it's kind of, it's any, any improvement is what we're looking for from the offensive line and any improvement from the offensive line is going to improve the offense as a whole in general. It's going to improve the quarterback play. It's going to improve the running game. It's going to just be a, a difference maker for all of it. And so I, it doesn't have to be an all American offensive line, but it needs to be significantly better than last year because last year was so bad. So I think I'll, it's kind of weird. Like it's, I'll say, I'll say I'll, I'll love it because it has to be significantly better than last year, but that's not saying much. I mean, that's like saying, you know, who's, uh, I don't know what to, I was just going to use a bad expression. So I'm not going to say that, but <laughs> it's, like it's, it's, uh, You know you want to see improvement it was also one of the worst position groups on the field last year so any type of improvement is going to look significant so i guess i'll say i'll love it there okay
0: (laughs) love it or leave it number two
1: all right number two love it or leave it people are overestimating how good the texas quarterback position will be in 2022.
0: oh yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna love this because every texas fan right now thinks that uh, A, Quinn Ewers is going to be the quarterback and B, Quinn Ewers is going to play like Vince Young uh, <laughs> because they were both the number one recruit in the entire nation in their respective recruiting classes. And people need to remember Vince Young was a red shirt in 2002 who played uh, a little bit in you know 2003 before really settling in and becoming a monster in 2004. So, um, yeah, they're, they're overestimating how good the Texas quarterback position will be, but the hope is Taylor that the quarterback doesn't have to do everything that because you have Dejon Robinson, because you have, uh, receivers who can make turn short receptions into long touchdown plays or, or even just a first down because you are stressing the defense by having so many talented skill players, you have to account for, Xavier Worthy. Uh oh, here comes Isaiah Nair and a Jai Hall. They're six foot three and can run like the wind. Uh oh, there's Jordan Whittington going over the middle, Uh, who's a grown man. He looks like a running back in the NFL. He's so uh, put together that your, your quarterback's not going to have to do everything. He's not going to have to be Colt McCoy in 2008 when it seemed like it was him and, you know, um, or 2009, excuse 2009, me, when, it, yeah, him and when it, when it seemed like it was just him and Jordan Shipley. Yeah. So, um, time, that's terrible. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm
1: going to,
0: you know, I'm going to love this, but hopefully, uh, the quarterback doesn't have to do everything. How about you?
1: Yeah, I'm going to love it. And I agree with you. It's, um, I think Texas fans are just getting ahead of themselves a little bit when it comes to the quarterback play, the quarterback room. Not surprising. I mean, I feel like there've been a number of times where, especially when it comes to quarterbacks, you know, uh, Texas fans anoint them as the next, you know, the second coming of Vince young. And you always, as you mentioned, and I feel like we talk about a lot on the flagship podcast, especially ever since Quinn Ewers did come to Texas is Vince young did not start his first year. He did not start his second year. He started his third year, but he wasn't the Vince young that took Texas to the national championship until, you know, he was into his third year. And so, This is, um, I think Texas fans are definitely overestimating it. The other thing is, I think that, you know, they are the high, very high expectations for the, you know, Quinn Ewers or if it's Hudson Card, whatever. I mean, how, how can you have that when Texas couldn't even field, you know, a full offensive line in a spring game because of that's how limited their numbers were. And so there's all these guys coming on campus. We've talked about it in depth about how Texas is almost certainly going to rely on, at least one if not two possibly more true freshman offensive linemen and there's a chance that those guys have yet to go through a college practice yet so that's not the situation that any any coach wants to be in that's not a situation any offensive line coach wants to be in that's the situation unfortunately that texas is in for you know a number of reasons that a lot of them are outside the control of this staff but um, you know, they do have their guys coming in and on campus now, you know, the, that offensive line hall from the 2022 signing class. But still, I mean, it, relying on that much inexperience or, you know, having that many questions on the offensive line and then expecting like some elite level of quarterback play from a guy that has not played, has not started a, you know, a college football game, That's that's asking for way too much. And I think that the expectations are way too high right now they're overestimating how good the quarterback position can be and that's not a knock on quinn ewers or hudson card it's just a i think they're overestimating it without thinking about the guys in front of them who have to protect those quarterbacks if the offensive line doesn't do its job the quarterback position is not going to look very good and if the offensive line does its job quarterback position may look great and we'll be having a different conversation you know in the season um, potentially but even then, we still are dealing with two inexperienced quarterbacks. Texas doesn't know who the starter is. I think everyone's pointing to Quinn Ewers, but still, I mean, there's a lot of questions for both him and Hudson Card. So yeah, there's no doubt that Texas fans or a lot of people are overestimating how good the quarterback position will be. And again, that's not a knock on either of the guys. It's just there's other factors that play into the success or lack of success from the quarterback position. It all starts up front.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Um, all right love it or leave it number three
1: sorry I thought I was gonna sneeze there um love it or leave it the Texas softball team's run to the championship final of the women's college world series is the best sports story of the year for the Longhorns
0: I mean this is like asking a parent to pick between you know who's their favorite child
1: I was always my parents' favorite child, so I. Well,
0: then you might have a different answer than I have for this. I'm gonna leave this because, my goodness, Texas has won four national championships already for the 2021-22 school year. You know, indoor track, uh, women's tennis. um, You know you you've got men's golf, and. Oh, good heavens. Rowing,
1: right? Rowing. Yeah.
0: And, you know, one of those isn't even Eddie Reese. Yeah. For crying out loud, he finished second. Um, But there's some great storylines among those national championship runs. I mean, if you didn't, if you haven't watched our flagship podcast interview with John Fields, the Texas golf coach, talking about, um, you know, his team and, uh, Pearson and Parker Cootie the twins and Cole Hammer the three amigos they call them um, making it to the championship final against Stanford as freshmen and then you know COVID and then injuries and fatigue and they finished 25th last year and then come back and get it done Um, it's just hard to pick you know they're all fantastic this this story, the UT women's softball team is, is fantastic, but remember they started the year number 10. I mean, Haley Dulcini is no slouch. She transferred from Fresno state, but she's legit. And you saw it. She shut down Oklahoma state over the final four innings of that six, five come from behind win. She's got, she's got talent and uh this team's got talent. So they're unseated and they're zombies and they're six and oh, in elimination games uh now if they take down oklahoma taylor i might have a different answer but i'm gonna i'm gonna leave this uh no disrespect you've already got four other national championship teams yeah how about you
1: man i i kind i want to i kind of want to love it and leave it a little bit because i agree i mean you don't want to overlook the the teams that have won the national championship. And there's, you know, as as you mentioned, there's four that Texas already has. So I feel like that's doing a little bit of a disservice to those programs. Um, But I I also on the flip side, I just I love how this team has come together. I, I think you're you're spot on with your zombie apocalypse um, analogy of this team. And I always kind of love those type of stories. So that's where I do want to love it. So but at the same time, I, I think that would be too much of a, a slight to the teams that did actually win the national championship now i agree with you next you know we'll know by next uh recording of the flagship podcast if texas softball will take down you know goliath and number one oklahoma um i will have a different answer i would be loving this question if that was already the case so we'll see next week but yeah i'm gonna agree with you and i'm gonna leave it just for the time being but i don't want to disregard or um you know, not, not give proper respect to what Texas softball has been doing in this postseason, especially.
0: Well, it's, it's an unbelievable time. If you're following uh, the Texas Longhorns uh, to to get over to horns247.com, we've got you covered from start to finish in all of the sports we've just talked about. Yeah. Uh, we, in addition to all of the
1: other sports too, not just that's football, right. baseball, basketball, like normal I and mean, recruiting. So
0: that's right we cover it all baby and (laughs) as we mentioned with Arch Manning coming in uh for a big visit and all the summer workouts and scoop that you need to know heading into the 2022 football season um you know we'll be hanging out waiting for you over at horns 247com and until next time right here on the flagship podcast for Taylor Estes I'm Chip Brown